0: All right, it turns out that a presidential candidate colluded with the Russians to skew the results of an American election, and the Democrats think it's A OK. Can you, can you spot the difference? The DNC issued a statement. Their, their DNC spokesman came out and said that the DNC had no knowledge that this was going on. Here's a statement. <laughs>
1: товарищи солдаты и матросы сержанты и старшины
2: мичманы и прапорщики
0: I may just do that joke for the rest of the year. <laughs> for those of you who don't speak Russian, what that meant was, I'll never talk, you can't make me, you lousy screw, you'll never break me, copper, you'll never take me alive. Top of the world, ma. I think that was, <laughs> that was what the DNC is saying. I, I, we are going to talk about hypocrisy. Some of this stuff is really funny. And we have Dr. Paul King Gore here, who has written The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism, which is great because the next time some idiot tells you that communism was terrific, like say you're talking to a reporter from the New York Times, you can actually hit him with the edge of this book, or you could actually read the book and use the arguments inside. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm the hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty-zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Bang. Oh, hooray, hooray. All right, it's over. The week is over. The Clavenless weekend is—it's—it's it's hanging above you like the sword of Damocles. Look it up. <laughs> it's hanging away. But you can stave it off for one more day because tomorrow, episode three of Another Kingdom, the podcast I did with Michael Knowles, will drop uh, on iTunes. Please subscribe on iTunes. It really helps us out. Subscribe. Leave a good review. It is now number eleven. In literature, I know, in, in arts, in the arts, it's number, uh, the number 11 podcast, part of that is because some guy named Ben Shapiro uh, mentioned it as the stuff he likes, which and he was very complimentary about it, uh, and it's a story of this Hollywood kind of nobody who walks through a door and suddenly finds himself a murder suspect in this fantasy world, but it gets really complex and interesting as it goes forward, and the third episode, which as I say drops tomorrow, is where st- things start to turn around. You want to be there for this, so you do not want to be at the post office waiting online. How's that for a segue? Uh, (laughs) Because I'm a professional broadcaster, folks. I can I can just do this stuff like that. If you do not want to stand online at the post office, listen, I love the post office. I always hate it when people attack the post office because they handle so much stuff and they really do it relatively well. It's amazing how few mistakes they make. That's just the problem that actually going to a physical post office is so 20th century, and we do not do that anymore. You don't want to have to stop what you're doing. You don't want to have to go down the road, you don't want to have to wait online, hope they have what you want, all this stuff. Stamps.com is the answer because it just takes the post office, carries it to your house, shoves it through the door, and then stuffs it into your computer so that you have all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right at your fingertips. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. It is very cool. You just put the envelope... Or whatever it is in the printer and it comes out with a stamp printed right on it stamps.com makes it easy they'll send you a digital scale which automatically calculates exact postage and stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs I'm, this is one of those things that I, I use it because it just changes the whole game. It brings you into the the world, into the modern world. Right? You just don't have to stop your life to go to the post office. And if you go to stamps.com and you click on the mo- microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Claven, which is spelled oh, how is that spelled? K L A. V as in Victor, AN. The guy is listening. I thought he was just sitting there. I thought I he was a piece, a, a piece of furniture until yesterday. <laughs> I have <a> good <laughs> For that, if you do that, you get a four-week trial plus postage and the digital scale without any long-term commitments. So go to stamps.com and enter Claven. Tap the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter Claven. Stamps.com, you will never have to go to the post office again. Before I talk about the news today, I have to a little on a personal note. I got a letter yesterday, and I've gotten letters like this before, but they haven't given me permission to read them on the air. And this one did, and uh, I, I'll I won't read the whole thing. I, I'll kind of edit it for space, but it's it's important because we did the mailbox yesterday, the mailbag, yeah, the mailbag <laughs> yesterday, and answer your question. I always make these jokes about will change your life and all this stuff. But here's a guy who said, he said when he started watching this podcast... Uh, it wasn't under good circumstances. He says, I was in an extremely dark period in my life. My longtime girlfriend at that time had cheated on me and wanted nothing more to do with me. I just graduated from high school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I felt like I had no purpose and no future and the black hole of sadness and heartbreak had sucked all the sunlight of happiness and joy from my soul. There was one instance where I tried to commit suicide and he says it was only an act of God that stayed, uh, saved his life but he stumbled across this podcast. I stumbled across your podcast. I began to listen to what you were saying and your message of optimism in the face of dark times helped lift my spirits out of the depths of despair. I began to seek counseling, and soon after, I decided to go to college, where I met my current girlfriend of over a year. She has been the greatest blessing God gave to me, and I hope to marry her. You used the metaphor of conservatives being doctors, keeping freedom alive just a little longer. You, sir, kept me alive just a little longer until I could find true happiness again." Uh, very moving to me, these, these letters. When I get them, I really appreciate people telling me uh, these things because I've been there. I've been there, and I know what it's like, and I know that a chance word from somebody who is thinking in the right way can really help you and save you. And one of the, I swear, I've seen this, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of suicidal people. I've worked on hotlines and things like that. And one of the tricks that I believe that are mutual enemy that the force of evil likes to play on us is likes to make us think that we are in the deepest pit of hell, when in fact, we're 10 feet away from the end of the tunnel. And that's what happened to me. I mean, at the darkest day of my life, I thought I was in absolute oblivion of darkness. And in fact, I was 15 feet away from the goal line, you know, uh, it was all going to be okay. And when I look back on that and think that I was actually thinking of ending my life, I just want to slap slap myself I want to go back to that kid and just say what are you what are you doing doof and it really is true and it's not just things going better it's your attitude it's the way you so much of life is whether you picture yourself as a dumb animal in a cage being stabbed by vicissitudes or you picture yourself as a knight fighting for your own life you know a a battle or a warrior fighting for your own life and one of the things that really gets me about the left there was the story yesterday i guess it was of this illegal immigrant who wanted to get an abortion, and the uh, the government was saying, no, we don't have to facilitate that. And the court said, yes, you have to get her an abortion. They, she wasn't asking for us to pay for it. She just wanted an abortion. And she was taken out, and she got the abortion, and there were people celebrating Like, hooray, you know, the the baby is dead. And I thought, you know, I know these aren't bad people. I know these aren't evil people. But your philosophy takes you somewhere. You know, your philosophy is like a road. And you get to the end of the road and suddenly you find out, oh, I'm celebrating a baby being exterminated, you know. And I would say the same thing, by the way. It's not quite as bad. But I say the same thing about people who rejoice when some uh, evil guy is put to death, you know, and they're out there saying old sparky and cheering for that. Um, You know, you're either on the side of life or you're on the side of death. And I think that, that I think that there is a philosophy, this, this leftist philosophy, and I'm glad we have Paul Kinger on talking to, uh, coming on to talk about co- communism because I do believe this leftist philosophy is a path that leads straight to the celebration of death and the elevation of death over life. Anyway, that letter really moved me. I'm really glad, and I'm really happy he let me know. Um, so <laughs> this Hillary Clinton thing. You know, I, I have this glitch in my psychology that my wife always <laughs> tells me, she always tells me, don't say this in public, okay? And it's the glitch in my psychology is that I, there's something about corruption that I find hilarious. And I know that corruption <laughs> hurts people and I don't find that part hilarious, but there is something about the, the overt, when people become overtly corrupt, they, it's it's so obvious they've lost the plot of life. And you know I always say that humor is a uh, proof that man is a fallen being, because what is funny is high people, what's funny is a guy in a tuxedo slipping on a banana peel and falling into a puddle. That's funny because he thinks he's high and distinguished and looking good, and suddenly he's goes splash. And so what's funny about corruption, I think, is that we know we're supposed to be something so much better than this, but these guys fall into a, it's like George Stephanopoulos, being the head news guy on ABC, this Clinton, you know, functionary being the top news guy at their network. They're so corrupt. They're so biased that they just do it openly. And this happens again and again. So yesterday we were talking about the scandal and I know it gets complicated, but the simplest part of the scam scandal is that, there was this dossier on Donald Trump. We all heard about it because we heard about the Russian hookers, right? The Russian hookers were urinating on the bed. Trump's Trump's remark, response to that was like, I'm a germaphobe. Are you kidding me? You know, like, and, but all of this stuff was basically a former British spy using Russian information. Russian operatives were feeding him information to... Uh, run down to uh, uh, attack Donald Trump, to make Donald Trump look like a, some kind of Russian colluder or something like this. And it turns out they keep saying that the GOP finance began to finance this and then the Democrats and Hillary Clinton took the financing over. That's not true. The GOP did go to the same company, Fusion GPS, but it's the Democrats who went after this dossier. They paid for this dossier and they denied it and denied it and denied it. And this is the dossier that James Comey took to Trump and to Obama, and it's kind of started, this whole Russian thing. And we don't know how much. The FBI was actually going to pay this guy, Christopher Steele, the spy, to keep on doing this oppo research. And then they decided not to do that, and they're still trying to find out about this. But we'll get to that in a minute. But the point is that it is now clear that Hillary Clinton— essentially colluded with the Russians to have an effect when you take out the middleman, when you take out the fusion GPS people, they they colluded with the Russians to affect this relationship. So first, the the funny, one of the funnier things yesterday is Trump, because Trump is now walking on air. He's got this spring in his step. He's going out to his chopper. And he just, because it's just the cigar blew up in their faces and he loves it. So this is cut number one, Trump celebrating the turnaround.
2: The whole Russian thing is what it's turned out to be. Uh, This was the Democrats coming up with an excuse for losing an election. It's an election that's very hard for a Democrat to lose because the Electoral College is set in such a way that it's very hard to lose that election for a Democrat. They lost it. They lost it very badly and very easily. I mean, you look at the votes. It was 306 to what, 223 or something. They lost it by a lot. They didn't know what to say, so they made up the whole Russia hoax. Now it's turning out that the hoax has turned around, and you look at what's happened with Russia, and you look at the uranium deal, and you look at the fake dossier, so that's all turned around.
0: I love it. This is where the pres- President Donald, he lives for this. I mean, he lives for it, you know, but this is, this is the thing I got to get to. Now, so just remember what's happened now. Now we know that Hillary Clinton and the DNC through this lawyer, and they use this lawyer so he can say talk about confidentiality, and he doesn't have to testify about it. we know that they went to foreign agent, the British spy is a foreign agent. That's the first thing. He's a foreign power. And we know that the information was coming from Putin, from the Russians, so that foreign power to get opPO research on Trump. okay. Now think back. How far back is this? What what is it now? It's October. It's like a month ago. It's like September, I think. Donald Trump Jr., the New York Times turned up the fact that Donald Trump Jr. had a meeting with a Russian lawyer. Her name was like Natalia Veselnitskaya, something like this, right? And he went to have a meeting with a, a Russian lawyer because he said that she said that she had oppo research. He got into the room. She said she had no oppo research, and he walked out. Now let's just remember what the Democrats, and this is, I I cut this montage down to about a minute and a half, but it it actually goes on for three minutes. These are top, top Democrats, Blumenthal, all of them. I'm I'm gonna, and I'm gonna play more because you got, this is how they reacted to news that Donald Trump Jr. met with a Russian lawyer to get oppo research, which he never got, okay? Let's listen. Information, dirt on Hillary Clinton, from the Russian government, and expecting an agent of the Russian government to be providing it to him, and having the meeting showing and again signaling the Trump campaign is open for business. We will accept information no matter how it is obtained, legally or illegally. And that is potentially a violation of the SBI Act, yes. I think what we're learning uh, with the Trump Jr. meeting is when you meet with any Russians, you're meeting with Russian intelligence and therefore President Putin.
2: The criminal activity, the unconstitutional activity of this president and his family. So I have dubbed them the uh, criminal clan. This
1: is evidence of willingness
0: to commit collusion. He's saying... Yes, I had the intent to collude. I went in, and I took the meeting, which by definitionally is colluding. <laughs> I, 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 he's
2: admitted to the crime. Likely, Not- as many of us that worked on the campaign thought that the Trump campaign may have been colluding with the Russian government, never in my wildest dreams did I ever think you'd see a piece of evidence that would be as much of a smoking gun as this email.
1: A senior advisor and someone who was in the top tier of the Trump campaign colluded through the classic dictionary definition of what that word means.
2: Fake,
0: fake, fake, fake. Fake, 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 fake. Now, I didn't, I cut out Stephen Colbert. He went out, Trump should go to jail for this. That's what he was, that was his joke. Uh, And Tapper is in there, Jake Tapper is in there. Yo, Jake, you know, it's like, I hope you're going to say the same thing. I hope you're going to be talking about treason now, but I don't think so. And here's why. Let me show you. One of the guys in there was Brian Fallon. Brian Fallon is Hillary's spokesperson or was Hillary's spokesperson. So let's just play them right next to each other. Here's, here's cut number 11, here's Brian Fallon's reaction to Donald Trump Jr. having this meeting with a Russian lawyer.
2: There's a difference between uh, going out and hiring opposition research firms that work in the United States of America and going out and soliciting information from a foreign national.
0: And here's Brian Fallon now after he years about this. Opposition research happens all the time in campaigns.
2: Christopher Steele, who compiled this dossier, was a foreign national. Yeah. So Christopher Steele's actions here, these, this is the, akin to counterintelligence work. He was not being handed things by the Russians. Otherwise, we probably know the details of these right. supposed videotapes and the, and the business connections that Donald Trump has with
0: Russia. <laughs> this guy has a mirror that just cracked right down the middle. He has two faces on it. But, but OK, so he's—that's kind of his job. I mean, poor man. You know, it's a crappy job to have. And I said, what's your job? You know, what's, what do you do, Daddy? I lie for Hillary Clinton— So she doesn't always have to lie for herself. But the guy who really gets me is Adam Schiff, because Adam Schiff, he's the the congressman, the big kind of left-wing congressman on the House Intel Committee. I guess he's the ranking Democrat. And he I think he has been McCarthyite. He has been like Joseph McCarthy in his, oh, yes, we've got proof of this and we've got proof of that. I want to go back and play uh, him in in march this is cut number eight uh, what he says matters about all this stuff
2: we will never know whether the russian intervention was determinative in such a close election indeed it is unknowable in a campaign in which so many small changes could have dictated a different result more importantly and for the purposes of our investigation it simply does not matter what does matter is this The Russians successfully meddled in our democracy, and our intelligence agencies have concluded they will do so again.
0: So it doesn't matter what they were doing. It doesn't matter whether the information was true. The only thing that matters is that Russia was meddling in our democracy. That's the only thing that matters. And here is this same weasel, Congressman Weasel, this same guy reacting to this news of Hillary Clinton. Uh, This is the cut before, cut seven.
2: Uh, We've known for some time, at least, it's been publicly reported that the uh, dossier or the hiring of Christopher Steele was initially on behalf of one of the Republican candidates and later on behalf of the Democratic candidate. Uh, This was the first confirmation of half of that. Uh, But it doesn't really shed any light where we really need light shed, and that is how much of what Mr. Steele found uh, can be corroborated, how much of it is accurate. Uh, We've been working hard to answer those questions, which are really what the American people need to know. Uh, And indeed, some of the dossier has been corroborated. What I find most significant about it is the fact that Christopher Steele, no matter who is paying for his services, uh, may have discovered before our own intelligence agencies that the Russians were going to interfere in our election on behalf of Donald Trump. Uh, So we have a lot of work to do in terms of uh, a lot of the claims in the dossier. But I don't think it really adds much value to know who paid for it necessarily. Uh, And I view this as part of the effort to discredit him, which really doesn't advance the investigation.
0: So before, all that mattered was the Russians were meddling. But now what matters was when the Russians were meddling, what did they say? What did they say? And also that stuff about it's been corroborated. There is no evidence in the public that any of the evidence in that dossier, any of the charges in that dossier have been uh, corroborated. They keep saying it. It's a Democrat talking point, and maybe it's true, but we certainly uh, don't know anything about it. And the thing on top of this is the FBI, the FBI, which may have had a role in this, may have used this dossier, this fake dossier, as an as evidence to bring to a FISA court, so they could uh, wiretap, you know, Paul Manafort and some of the Trump people. They're stonewalling. They've been subpoenaed and they won't turn over. We'll talk about that more, but we have Paul Kenger coming up with the uh, the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism, which is really uh, entertaining and something you should really know about. And we're going to talk to him in a minute. But first, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube because you didn't subscribe. You got to come over to the dailywire.com. You can listen to the rest if you subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month. You can watch the whole thing right there without being cast out into the exterior darkness where there is great weeping and gnashing of teeth. Plus, plus, for a lousy hundred bucks, you subscribe for the entire year. And when Democrats do their great weeping and gnashing of teeth, you can put it right in your leftist tears tumbler and drink it down cold or hot, however you like it. Come on over to TheDailyWire.com. This is going to be a really interesting conversation. Dr. Paul Kenger is a professor of political science, and he's the executive director of the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College. You can find him on Twitter at Dr. D.R. Paul Kengor, K-E-N-G-O-R. He is the author of this a very entertaining Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism, which is subtitled The Killingest Idea Ever. Uh, Dr. Paul Kenger, thank you for being here. It's good to see you. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Good to be with you. You Especially know, for such an uplifting, up, such an uplifting topic like this. <laughs> well, you know, it's uplifting in a way because the truth is always better than lies. You know, the truth That's is right. more uplifting than lies. And, <laughs> and we keep hearing a lot about kids talking about socialism. Polls showing the college kids think socialism is a good thing, and all this. Are they? Is this something they're actually being actively taught? Are they being taught that communism, and socialism, are a good thing? Well, they're not being taught that communism is a bad thing, or at
1: least they're not right. being taught about it enough. And, and I'll tell you, Andrew, I'll give you one just shocking survey. This was done about a year ago. I think it was October 2016. And the group Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation did the study. And by the way, just the fact that there needs to be a Victims of Communism <laughs> Memorial Foundation does a lot, right? right? But they found that not a majority, thankfully. Okay, but a disturbing number of Americans, and this isn't just millennials, this is across the board. It was close to a third, actually believe that George W. Bush is responsible for more deaths than Joseph Stalin. Wow. Really? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Okay. A- so absolutely yeah. amazing. And, and I mean, you could you could only believe that if you've spent the last four years in your kind of local academic insane asylum indoctrination center, where you've heard Bush bad, Bush bad, Bush bad, Bush bad. And you never learned about the crimes of communism. And, you know, it's not so much they're necessarily being taught pro-communism or to believe in communism, but they're, they're just not learning the horrors of it. And I mean, you know, every everyone ought to know that not only is Stalin responsible for far more deaths than George W. Bush, but he was responsible for more deaths than Hitler was. Hmm. Uh, okay. People should know that, that Mao was responsible for more deaths than Stalin was. And you know, communist governments killed anywhere from minimum of, of about 100 million people. that's according to the Harvard University Press book, The Black Book of Communism, to as high as 140 million people. And I mean you'd have to literally combine all the dead from World War One and World War II and then double them to get anywhere
0: near those numbers. And these weren't, I mean, you talk about George W. Bush killing people. George W. Bush was fighting a war against people who wanted to destroy us. These these were his own people. These were farmers, I mean, Russian farmers uh, who were being starved to death, and and the Chinese were wiping out their own guys. Well, that's right. And, I mean, I don't know what number we could even tag Bush
1: with, right? (laughs) I mean, I guess the most wild leftists could could blame Bush for, I mean, I guess— thousands of American deaths in an unnecessary war, perhaps, right, if that's what you believe, maybe three or 4,000 deaths, 5,000 deaths, something to that. You can even try to blame them for a number of Iraqi deaths if you want. Uh, But I mean, that doesn't hold a candle to 60 to 70 million deaths by Joseph Stalin. And those are the latest numbers by Alexander Yakovlev in a Yale University Press book. He said, Stalin alone killed 60 to 70 million people. It's interesting, you mentioned Joe McCarthy in, in the last segment. I mean, they, they will learn, uh, you know, modern millennials and college students, that Joe McCarthy was a bad guy. And really kind of the only bad Joe that they learn about during the Cold War is Joe <laughs> McCarthy, right? They don't learn about <laughs> Joe Stalin. And, well, you know, a... if, they, if they learn about the Cold War, they'll learn about the Hollywood Ten and how they were persecuted by, you know, a rabid Joe McCarthy when, in fact, they were actually pursued by the, the Democrat-run House Committee on American Activities. And all 10 members of, of the Hollywood 10 were actual card-carrying members of the Communist Party who joined the party under Stalin. Right. Uh, you know, there were a lot of American small-c communists who, who wouldn't join the party because they didn't want to pledge themselves to, quote, ensure the triumph of Soviet power inside the United States, which but, is but, what you pledge to do when you joined CPUSA in the
0: 1930s. Let's, let's talk about Che Guevara for a minute. Yeah, I, When you drive, mm. I don't know the last time you've been to San Francisco, but you drive into San Francisco, there's a huge, I don't know if it's still there, but I was there a, a couple of years ago, huge mural of Che, the famous handsome uh, picture of Che with the beret. You see people still, I, I hike in the canyons in L.A., you see people still wearing Che uh, t-shirts. And i you often hear uh, right-wingers say, well, he was kind of a bad guy. How bad was he? <laughs>
1: Well, you probably ought to pull up and take out a ladder and put a little Hitler mustache on it. That's probably <laughs> okay. when win you a lot of friends walking by there in, in San Francisco. Look, uh, Che was a bloodthirsty maniac killer. And I mean, I just went through all those different numbers. Well, get this. If Che Guevara had had his way in on October 1962, and this applies to Fidel Castro as well, they both actually wanted to launch the nuclear missiles at the United States during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Hmm. Now, the Soviets put the missiles there to check our missiles in Turkey, to try to gain a strategic advantage on the United States, cut the delivery time of missiles, not actually intending to use them. But when the Soviets found out that Che and Fidel actually wanted to use the missiles, knowing that it would unleash nuclear Armageddon, and and the Soviets said, they said of Che specifically, they said he wanted to pull the temple down upon his head, wanted to pull the temple down upon his head. He saw himself in a religious-like way as this martyr, this would-be martyr to international communism, and and Fidel later said, "What would have happened to Cuba? It would have been completely destroyed." We know that, and so the Soviets saw this in October 1962, and Nikita Khrushchev literally called a late-night, uh, midnight Sunday night meeting at the Kremlin and said get the missiles out get them out get them out get them out wow. right away these guys are insane wow, and, you know, if amazing. only he could imagine that american college students would be wearing Che t-shirts he'd probably <laughs> be what's wrong with Americans? Yeah. <laughs> crazy well so, the uh, he was and, and he also he also, che also ran fidel's execution pits he mm-hmm. personally executed people uh, he was put in charge of, of, of the largest prison site that, that did executions in Cuba uh, early 1960s. And, and frankly, even Fidel thought that Che was kind of nuts and in the end probably probably allowed him to be taken out, to to, to be rid of him.
0: Just to get rid of somebody he couldn't control. The, the New York yeah. Times has been running this series of articles – it's It's one of the most appalling series of articles I've ever seen. It's called Red Century. and it, is. It, it it comes up with these these crazy stuff like women had better sex under the Soviets and women had bigger. My favorite was women had bigger dreams uh, under the Red Chinese. I mean, there's a wonderful book called Wild Swans about what women's lives were actually like under the Chinese <laughs> communists. Well, I- oh, it's a terrific book. Uh, but but what? What actually was life like under a communist regime? And I'm just to remind people, I'm talking to Dr. Paul Kangor, the author of the politically incorrect guide to communism, the killingest idea ever. What what was life like in a under a communist regime?
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of funny, Andrew. I got an email from somebody who read a piece I wrote for the American Spectator and the New York Times piece about women having better sex under communism. He he worked along the Berlin Wall in the 1960s. And, it was his job to, to look through binoculars and watch what was going on on the other side of the Iron Curtain. Hmm. And he said, I could tell you that that when the sun went down, all the electricity went out, there's probably nothing else to do but have sex <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> <laughs> So you could yeah. read at night, you know, the electricity wasn't working. You had to snuggle up in bed. What else were you going to do? Basically? Yeah. Um, they also had the highest abortion rates by far Right. In, in East Germany, Soviet Union and China. In fact, let me add that for China. Uh, yeah, one of the Times articles that just ran about two or three weeks ago claiming that, that women's lives were, I think, made better was the exact words that they, they use under Chinese communism. Well, here's a statistic that, that you won't find in that article. China has about 20 percent of the world's women. So, I mean, literally one in five women in the world are Chinese. Hmm. They have 56 percent of the world's female suicide. Oh, wow. 56% of the world's female suicides. Why? Because life sucks for women yeah. under Chinese communism. They, they have a one child policy, which has recently been expanded to two. They have forced sterilization. They have forced abortion. And and you know, with the one child policy, a lot of Chinese girls that weren't identified in the ultrasound and aborted, the parents gave birth to them and instead preferring a boy, they would drop the girls off at orphanages. And look around you. I and mean, I've got a bunch of friends who have who have adopted Chinese yeah, children. They're all girls. Too. They're yeah. yeah, they're all girls. And, you know, life for, for women, for girls under communism in China is lousy. And only uh, a – I mean the New York Times is basically running an article there that you would have once seen in Pravda or it's, out of a party organ in Havana.
0: Well, for the or, New York Times, or, I uh, think – uh, a for, uh, for the New York Times, a forced abortion is a win-win because not only do you get to kill the baby, but you get to take people's freedom away. So I think that's a positive thing twice well, you get to reduce
1: them. Yeah, you get to reduce population growth. You right. get to reduce the, the drain on natural resources. And, and ironically, though, what you're saying, when you really read these articles carefully, and I first saw this in high school uh, civics textbooks that I started reviewing around the year 2000, which are all written by college professors, of course. And the argument that they were making in saying that life was good for women under communism, I'm not making this up, Andrew. They, they say basically because women had the right to abortion.
0: Right. And, right.
1: you know, as if, hey, you know, that's all gal needs. Right. You got that, baby. You are the freest woman in the world. And, you know, and it also said that it forced women into the workforce. So, you know, women forced into the workforce, uh, 24-7 daycare centers for their burdensome children. Free twenty four seven abortion starting in the USSR and the para- United States. yeah.
0: So, oh. so I, I'm running out of time, but I, I have to ask you. Uh, you know, you talk a lot. You talk in this book about the fact that uh, even after the Soviet Union fell, a lot of the people who uh, were couldn't face the failure became teachers in America, and they had the Frankfurt School and things like this. Today, you hear people say, "Well, I'm not in favor of communism, but I'm in favor of socialism." Right. Is, there, is right. there something inherent in these ideas that is in itself evil? Because you think like, well, these are people trying to make more equality, and you know, obviously, uh, grotesque equality is not inequality is not a good thing. Uh, there's a there's a kind of a uh, good intentions uh, idea behind it. Is there something inherent in these philosophies that causes this destruction?
1: Well, in Marxist theory, socialism is, is a step on the way to full communism. It's right. a kind of a transitory step on the way to communism. But also you'll find the communists use the, the word socialism and communism interchangeably. In <laughs> fact, USSR, right? The second S stands for socialism. And here's another thing that's really important. I'm running into a lot of millennials who are saying, oh, I'm a democratic socialist. Well, I got news for you. Lenin and Trotsky and Stalin, I mean, they were in the Social Democratic Party of Russia, before it split into the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks in 1903. You mentioned the Frankfurt School, Herbert Marcuse, the the, the new left guru, the cultural Marxist. He was a social democrat. He was a democratic socialist. So there, there's not a lot of difference in, 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 in
0: these ideas. Wow, wow. Paul Kenger, the uh, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism, The Killingest Idea Ever. It really is uh, good to get this so that when you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and your you know, 17-year-old uh, you know nephew starts telling you how great it is, you can just hit him with the edge of this book <laughs> if you uh, don't want to read it and take the arguments. Thank you, uh, Paul. It's been really good talking to you. I hope we do it again.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Hit him with the turkey and then hit him with the book.
0: <laughs> it, it really is an unbelievable uh, state of affairs, that people living in this country. It's that You know, Reagan used to say, Ronald Reagan used to say he wished he could just take the leaders of Russia and fly them over a normal middle class suburb in America because they would have been so shocked by how well, how well we live here. I just want to go back for one minute uh, to talk about the, this kind of uh, FBI angle of this story, that the FBI is covering this stuff up, is, is 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 not giving over the documents. And Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, said, it's time to cough up. Listen to this, listen to how frustrated he sounds. It's really frustrating. We've had these document requests with the administration and the FBI in particular for a long time, and they've been stonewalling. Um, the, the FBI and the Justice Department needs to Uh, give Congress the documents it's been requesting, and they need to do so immediately. Uh, You know, and this is, this is, they've got all these subpoenas out, and the FBI is holding them up. Fusion GPS is going to court trying to keep from doing it. They've, they've, their guys have pled the Fifth Amendment (laughs) under questioning. I mean, this is really, really bad stuff. You know, and the New York Times, on top of this, by the way, they're whining. People like Maggie Haberman, you know, famed for her anonymous source stories, which we now see are all coming from the FBI, and they're all coming from these intelligence sources who are now just Democrat shills. They're all complaining, we were lied to, we were lied to. Let me tell you, let me show you why these guys can be lied to. Let, let us take a trip to the New York Times op-ed page, or as we like to call it, Knucklehead Row. So (laughs) uh, there's—what everybody loves in the press is these big fights between, you know, Senator Jeff Flake and, you know, uh, um, Bob Corker, and they're yelling at Trump, and basically Trump— they're having to reti- they're having to retire they're having to leave the senate because they cannot get support because people are basically turning the republican party is turning into a more trumpian party and so as they leave they're throwing these dirt bombs and what oh uh, What I love, what I love is after Flake made that speech in the Senate, he made the rounds of all the news agencies, and they all asked him the exact same question. We have a montage. Uh, This is cut number 15. This is Flake going on all the news agencies. They just want to know one thing.
2: You write, it is time to take a stand against Trump.
1: If he is dangerous to democracy, as you say, should he be removed from office? I I don't think any of those remedies are are, uh, justified. I really don't.
2: uh, We ought to actually lead. Well, there is a way that Congress can change this. Do you think Congress should be pursuing every avenue to... uh, Get President Trump out of office no I, I don't I don't uh, want to go down that road. I think that we ought to simply require more uh, of our commander-in-chief and our leader.
1: They're saying actions speak louder than words. What do you do now to actually make a change in the leadership? What do you do behind the scenes in the Senate? Uh, What can you do in politics going forward?
2: And so it's up to us to stand up and say this is not acceptable. Are words enough, though, Senator? What should you and your colleagues be doing? It seems like, as you say, a lot of your colleagues may agree with you privately. Some are speaking out as well. But there also seems to be a pretty prevalent view that the party just has to stick together to get tax cuts. And I guess my question is, is that prize worth
0: the price? (laughs) George Stephanopoulos, the guy who said to Hillary Clinton, I love you, Hillary. It's in his memoir. I love you, Hillary. And now he's a newsman. I mean, that's the face of corruption. Right there, that very fact is a face of corruption. But please, it's like, please, won't you impeach this president? So- the point is these guys got lied to and they got taken to the cleaners by Hillary Clinton, one of the biggest liars in town, Is somebody who how, – how do you know Hillary's lying? Her mouth is moving, right? So these guys got sucked in by these people. They didn't report this story. The Washington Post finally reported it, but the Times said they had the story, but the Clintons denied it. So the Clinton people denied it, so why wouldn't they believe it? The reason is because you guys are children. You have been reduced to the level of children by your gullible left-wingery. And here is an example from Knucklehead Row at the New York Times. The editorial board writes, the real reason for Republican silence on Donald Trump. Here's the real reason for—and just listen to the logic of this, Okay, It's less striking that a few Republican congressmen have publicly denounced President Trump's conduct than that most of their colleagues have not. Their fellow legislators have silently accepted his outrages. Why? In exchange for policies they've always wanted. So they've accepted the fact that Trump is rude, and he is, and I've talked about this, and I don't like the fact that he's rude and a bully. They've accepted that to get policies for the American people, to do their job, to get the things that he was elected to get, and that they— were elected to get. So they go on. On Tuesday night, the Senate with a tie-breaking vote from Mike Pence followed the House in voting to overturn a rule that would have allowed consumers to file class action lawsuits against banks and other financial institutions rather than be forced to take their disputes to arbitration. This is a Obama thing that was forced down people's throats. This is, you know, part of the big constituency of the Democrats are trial lawyers. This was a trial lawyer gift. About half of uh, financial arrangements have this uh, arbitration that you can take the deal to arbitration that saves tremendous amounts of money and it means that the money that money you pay for that money goes into interest rates hikes at uh, credit cards and all these things and who does that hurt you know it doesn't hurt me I pay off my credit card debt every day but if you can't pay off your credit card every month you're the guy who gets nailed by it but it helps those it's basically a transfer of wealth from business to trial lawyers that's that's what it is all right, so here is the agenda in the in New York Times speak. Here is the agenda that Republicans want, okay? Healthcare sabotage. <laughs> this, I'm reading, this off the page. This is what Republicans wake up, you know. I think I want to sabotage Americans healthcare, you know. That's what I want. Healthcare sabotage, environmental harm. That's the other thing, you know. Like yeah, Mitch McConnell, that's what he wakes up. He lies awake at night going like, how can I harm the environment? They want to hurt workers. <laughs> this is the <laughs> It's just like, it's just like <laughs> elementary school. It really is. It's like elementary school. They want this is the agenda that Republicans are, you know. Are supporting Trump for. They want to hurt workers. They want to destroy the environment. They want to make housing less affordable. That's Paul Ryan's special thing. You know I, you know what? I want fewer people to be able to afford a house. I mean, think about, well, let's, let's go, and helping big corporations and putting lives at risk. This is very important for, this is a part of the, this is on the platform. I think this was on the Republican platform. How can we put, yeah, how can we put lives at risk? I mean, if you think of any one of these, making housing less affordable, these are the clowns, these Democrats are the clowns who loaned money to people who couldn't pay it back, that money was then rolled out, snowballed through these Wall Street, you know, devices that they use to get people to pay for this until the economy crashed. You know, could it be, could it possibly be that there's a reason they want to make it a little harder to get a loan for a house? You know, could that possibly be environmental? harm? I mean, this is the thing. These guys are like children they are like children talking about speaking of which also I just want to hit this one thing because the week is ending although you can still get another kingdom listen to another kingdom but I I have to just hit a couple of more things that just really get me scientists finally admit the universe shouldn't exist this (laughs) yes yes this is it they have discovered this is uh via hot air it's not from hot air but it's via hot air uh Let's see. Some of the world's leading scientists are finally admitting the universe shouldn't even exist. The theory is coming from the world of particle physics. It's that the Big Bang should have produced the same amount of matter and antimatter, and all of it should have been almost immediately destroyed, because if you have the same matter and antimatter, cancel each other out. And yet, here we are the most elite scientists in the world are still struggling to find why exactly our universe didn't destroy itself as soon as it came into existence that's what science says should have happened but it clearly hasn't since you're here reading this as far as we know at the beginning of the universe according to the standard model there equal amounts of matter and there were equal amounts of matter and antimatter That should have annihilated each other, leaving none of the matter that surrounds us today. What I like about this is that I I seriously believe, just seriously believe that if science would just postulate The idea of a creator. Just say, look, we don't know. We're scientists. We can't prove it. But just stipulate the idea of a creator. A lot of (laughs) other theories might start to make more sense. Because the thing is, we exist on this very small plane. And our logic and everything exists on this very small plane. The minute you get onto another plane, the level of quarks and the level of big, you know, the universe and all this, all the logic changes. So we don't really know as much as we think we know. All right. Let's end with stuff I like. It is uh, Halloween is coming. So we did the Halloween, all the ghost movies, and everything. I do want you know this. You know that this was the biggest year for horror movies. Here's here's a piece from the New York Times that is actually real. Uh, this is a big year for horror, horror movies. It's really interesting. It's mostly uh, Get Out, uh, that excellent movie, and It, which I haven't seen. I'm not all that. I didn't like the. It's not my favorite book of Kings. I like Stephen King a lot. You know, you, you always do wonder when these things happen. Like, why? Why is this such a big year for horror? What Does it mean anything? I have to tell you, here's a story. To, this story sums up my life. When I, <laughs> I, I told you I was dragged into the movie business. The first movie that I wrote was this picture, Shock to the System. And Shock to the System is about a guy who basically kills his way to the top in business, played by Michael Caine. Good movie, still holds up today. And before, the New York Times, back when it was sort of a newspaper, called me up and said there was another picture coming out uh, at the same time, with uh, the, the, the girl from, uh, the lady from Stranger Things, uh, Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. And it was uh, Heathers, I think it was called. So she was that, that had about people killing people, too. And this Times guy called me up and said, why are these movies coming out now? What does this say about our society that these movies are coming out now? And, of course, what you're supposed to think when you hear that is, ah, a chance to promote my film in the New York Times. You know, this is a great thing. That would be what a smart person would say. What did I say? I said, eh, you know, you guys come up with these stupid ideas. <laughs> I did <laughs> I, said, I said, there's probably nothing, probably just coincidence, these movies are coming out at the same time and so they didn't you know they didn't run anything on our movie <laughs> to promote the movie but it is interesting <laughs> interesting to, to think about is there something about horror that is affecting us right this minute as i've always said i do not like horror so much i love ghost stories let me recommend a very short story to you that you can get for free online it's called august heat by wf harvey his most famous story is called uh, the beast with five fingers which was made into a movie um, but August Heat is about an artist who draws a picture of a guy, of a man, and goes for a walk in the August Heat and sees the man he drew a picture of. And what's the man doing? He is carving a headstone. And it is a spooky, spooky story. You can get it online. August Heat, good story to read out loud for Halloween. We will end our friend. Every time we do the mailbag, you hear, woohoo. And that is our friend, uh, Lindsay Boring, who used to work here. She's the sister-in-law of the God King of the Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring, but she left us, abandoned us, went back to Texas. I don't know why she did that such a thing, but she writes music and she writes songs and she has a new song coming out called Twisted. And for some reason, she's the sweetest girl in the world, but she always writes this very spooky stuff. So for Halloween, we will end with Lindsay Boring going, uh, Singing Twisted. Please subscribe to Another Kingdom on iTunes. It will stave off the Clavenless weekend for one more day, but then it will be upon you. But survivors will gather here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Here's Lindsay Boring with Twisted.
1: How many times will it take till it breaks us down?